welcome to Forever Canon, the podcast where we talk about how bad they smell on the outside. Uh, I'm Justin. <laughs> yeah, that was a good one. I knew that you'd like that. This week uh, on Forever Canon, we're back again, baby. Coming at you from quarantine over the speakerphone. For what, the the fourth week in a row now? Yeah, I think this is the fourth week. Actually, speaking of, today is May the 4th. And so, hello Star Wars fans, may the 4th be with you. Not only that, this is day 50 for my family of quarantine. Oh boy. This is day 50 of mom and dad and... and nine-year-old and five-year-old in the house together for 24 hours a day for 50 straight days and honestly everybody's been pretty sweet all right all right that's good yeah man i pulled out the hockey sticks a few days ago and lincoln just wants to go play hockey on the driveway every day yeah i know you sent me a picture i know i'm like right on dude (laughs) now at least i got somebody to play with he's into it but this week (laughs) we're talking about Chapter 17 through 20 of uh, Christy Golden's Fate of the Jedi, book two, Omen. And that means we only have one episode left of this book, right? Uh, Yeah, one and a review. Well, yeah, good point. Good call. <laughs> I almost forgot the format there. But yeah, we've got, we, we go through chapter 20 today, and then next week it's finish it up through 25. And then we're done our 11th book of the podcast, man. Yeah. How about that? That's a high number. When was that the last is a high time, number. <laughs> when was the last time you read 11 books in a year and a half, though? Never. I don't think it's ever taken me that long to read a, a, that many books. No, not even I, that long, but, like, have you ever read 11 books in a year and a half? Or, you know, you, normally you just pick up a, a three or four book series or something like that, and then you're like, done, cool. And then you take a long break or something like that. That's how I do yeah. it anyways, right? The yeah. only time that would have happened is if had these two series come out back to back, and I would have read them all at the same time. Yeah, and it, it you would have read eleven books in it would in the time span of a year and a half, but it probably would have only taken you like nine months. I don't know. Yeah, it took me a long time to get through the NJO books, so who knows, man? I could be way off. So this week, chapter seventeen through twenty. But first, bum bum bum. Previously, on Forever Canon. Luke and Ben share tea and spider hallucinations. Luke and Ben make quantum armadillo contact. Luke and Ben are liked and licked and led into the Dillo town. And ship bursts a 5,000-year-old Sith bubble. Those are our headlines. But that was last week. A lot of Luke and Ben. A lot of Luke and Ben. This week, we start with chapter 17. In the Grand Event Center on Coruscant. Hello, generic name, place. Wonderful. We get the idea of what it is. It, immediately just from the generic name of it. It's like a big convention center, right? Yeah, it's... Uh, it's the like, Grand Event Center. Yeah. And the Solo family is pet shopping at the circus. You know, it's not really a circus. It sort of is a circus, though, isn't it? Uh, it's like a... It's like a- big petting zoo yeah it's like a it's like um an animal trading expo with a show attached also yeah kind of type of thing and boy 
does it smell like shit? That's the first thing that everybody's got to comment on as they show up to the the animal circus. And Alana pets the Rontos while Leia and Jaina chat about life. You know, Luke, Jag, Javis Tear, who of course is obviously here. Jane is here. Where else would he be, right? Yeah. He is, of course, following Jaina. But the Solo family also has two Jedi Knight escorts of their own. And at this point, it occurred to me that there's four lightsabers walking through the middle of this animal alien expo exchange thing. It's a yeah. lot of firepower. It's a very dangerous situation for anyone who wants to cause trouble. Well, at a time when things have been going wrong for the Jedi in public, having four armed people <laughs> in a massive crowd, just it, that immediately struck me as like, oh, we're asking for trouble here. Something's, something's going to happen. And I actually, I was just reading the book and enjoying it and whatever, and then I didn't think, wow, that was dumb of them to bring that many Jedi. I don't think it's dumb. It's just... I don't know. I don't, I don't know. They need, they need the extra security, right? Cause they're so famous and stuff, but like, what? But with you... the, the Jedi going nuts, it's Yeah, it's a little, dumb. it's a little much, maybe. It seems like every time we get a handful of Jedi in one place, one of them fucking whacks out. But the whole crew <laughs> takes a stroll through the dangerous animal exhibit. They've gone to the petting zoo. They've seen the small animals. And it's on to the dangerous animal exhibit. This is a very cool circus. Yeah, and Alana is so jacked to go see the dangerous animals. Yeah, I like. I think this kid's written really well too, because like, just like the uh, the emotional, I don't know, uh, reflection or, or like uh, expression that she's given, uh, in in kind of her actions and in her uh, statements, where you know she's all jacked up. She's six, right? She's all jacked up to go see the scary animals, and then they all have to jam into an elevator full of people, and then she starts to get uneasy. And then the doors open, and then she starts to feel nervous, you know? It's it's this um this uh this given with Star Wars, this extra little bit that we're given where we get to get insight into people's emotions through the force all the time, right? Yeah. A six year old especially. Where it's like, you know, they don't always have the language, although she seems to, to express themselves. I, you know, this is me saying this with, with an almost six-year-old. Yeah. So I'm right in the wheelhouse here right now. But having that ability to, like, sense her apprehension and stuff in the Force, I don't know. I just like the way that uh, – I like the way that Alana's written. Mm-hmm. But this is the, the this is the coolest circus ever, Tim. There's a Rancor, which, of course, brings back haunting memories for Leia from Jabba's Palace. There's a Reek and a Nexu, huh? Mm-hmm. Two of the Coliseum beasts that were sicked on Padme and Anakin back in episode two. Hello. What? What? Where's the Ackley? Why did we not go three for three? It's probably, although they, I was going to say, it's probably a little big, but they have a Rancor. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I mean, where is it? Probably sold. Anyways. Yeah, some crazy rich guy probably bought it for rancor battles yeah probably right like real life dejaric table yeah come on that was a good star wars reference on may the 4th the rancor jumps up 
gives everyone a good spook. And then, quote, all the lights went out and the screaming started. This is when this is when they're in the middle of the dangerous animal exhibit with all those uh, previously mentioned alien animals that may or may not mean anything to you, the listener. But there's, you know, vicious alien monster beasts. And these are the most killingest of all time. And all, all the lights went out and the screaming started. <laughs> the pens start opening, meat starts raining from the ceiling, and the walkways <laughs> that are holding the solos and everyone else safely above the beasts begin retracting into the walls. Which, did this make you think of the trash compactor in reverse? Because that's what it made me yes. think of, right? Absolutely. Yeah, very much the same problem. Well, not, well, I mean, yeah, the same outcome. You die. <laughs> but like in reverse, instead of getting smushed, the floor is sucking out from underneath you and you're going to fall into a, a feeding frenzy. But why, Tim? Why is this happening? Because Jedi Escort, not to a wan, she's a Falleen, one of those pheromone uh, people, skin color changers, emotion yep. influencers. She has entered the imposter zone and has taken over the controls here to eliminate all these fakers. I, I actually didn't see the imposter switch coming. The animal no. thing, obviously like as soon as they're like, here's the dangerous animal exhibit, right? Or even when they're, when they're saying Han and lay in bed a few weeks ago or whatever. And, and they're like, let's go get her a pet. You're like, okay, well obviously there's going to be some kind of, animal outbreak when they go to the shopping exhibit or expo or whatever. Yeah, right? yes, yeah. so, some kind of fiasco when they're there. But using, you know, the main thread of these Jedi going crazy, I don't know how I didn't see that coming. But that was really that was a really nice little twist way to activate the animal threat, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like the inherent guaranteed threat that the animals something was going wrong. Yeah, let's just compound on that threat with a crazy Jedi running around. Yeah, compound is a good word. But more importantly, know. what animal are you going to buy from this freak show, Tim? How about that? If you had all the credits in the galaxy, what would you buy? I'll give you my answer because I haven't given you any time to think about this. I would buy one of those pocket hamsters. Oh, one of those pocket hamsters? Yeah, I think it's really stupid that Dala has an assistant that is allowed to have one, because that doesn't seem like her at all, but I would love one. <laughs> and I want and I want one of those things, it, it, in the description to me, it kind of struck me as like an emu. Yeah. The thing that Yoda rode around. Right, the Kaibuck. If yeah, you look up a picture of it, dudes. it's like, it's a, it's... It's got like kangaroo hind legs, small four four legs, and like a goat ram head. And it's pretty dope, and like a long kangaroo type of tail. I was I was googling each one of the each one of the animal names as I was reading through it, just to just to refresh my memory of the ones that I didn't know. I didn't know what the hell a kaibok was. I've never watched the Clone Wars. That's where Yoda, I guess, rides it around and stuff like that. Yeah, I've I've never actually watched the animated stuff. I have like Clone Wars. I've dipped in and out. Apparently, the Clone Wars just finished up with some uh, some incredible, well received finale by the fan base. No, oh. 
So apparently, I, I guess I'm going to have to check it out. Good for them. But that's a good choice, Tim. Buy one of them kangaroo goats. I like that. I'll buy a pocket hamster. Although, technically, every hamster is a pocket hamster, right? Yes. If you got pocket. His, his, his pocket hamster just happened to be named Pocket. You're right. It's not special at all. <laughs> I would pick <laughs> the plainest animal. <laughs> just because it fits in my pocket. Uh, chapter 18. Grand event center on Coruscant. A boy falls into a boar wolf pen. So Leia saves him. A man is bitten by an exu. So Leia saves him. And then Natu Awan issues her uh, Bond villain come and get me challenge over the PA. So Leia goes after her. Because it's time for grandma to badass. I mean, it, it, it's a really great scene. This bonkus chaos cir- circus action where like a kid falls into a wolf pit. She jumps in there. She kills five of them in, in a few seconds as they try to kill the kid. And then she can't save the kid completely. He'll be safe down there with the dead animals because she's got to go, you know, jump uh, Jedi high up to the rafters and save a dude who's being eaten by one of the giant wide mouth tiger cats. He's got like a Cheshire cat mouth, right? Like, whoa, 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 like spreads all out. Han is relegated to holding on to Alana while Leia goes bonkers and just fucking saves everybody. Here's a question, though, for you. In the text, it's described that Leia uses her lightsaber to pin the Nexu to a metal walkway through, through like, the base of its skull, right? Pins it yeah. to a metal walkway with her lightsaber. An energy weapon that cuts everything. Magic cut everything weapon. How the fuck do you use that to pin anything to anything? Well, it would, I think it would just pin it for a, like a little bit because it still has resistance like when it's cutting through stuff, right? When it's cutting through doors and stuff. Well, it's it's not a door though. It's a cat body, right? What she's trying to do is like keep the cat body from falling off while the dude's leg is still stuck in its mouth. Yeah. But I, I mean, think, like, uh, I don't know. Like, she specifically, Christy writes it specifically as, like, pinning a butterfly to a page or whatever, right? Yeah, yeah, a pin, yeah. Yeah, pinning an insect down or something like that. And I'm just like, mm, I don't know how that would work with a lightsaber, though. You know, this is my, uh, this is my, my, my galaxy master brain coming on. I was, I was reading it and I was like, oh, that's a good idea. Now you just ruined it. <laughs> well, it's like... Yeah, it would just like kind of, the meat would split and slip right off and I don't know, cut the dude's leg off on the way out. I have no idea. Seemed really weird to use the uh, universally known slicer of all things to stick a thing to a thing when it should yeah, just it cut everything in half. Yep. I don't know. I think, I think you fucked up there, Christy. Broke proto. <laughs> but we get our first cut to in a while and then we get yeah. out of them but we cut to han and alana escaping han wants to get the frip out quote frip get the mm-hmm. frip out f-r-i-p have you ever in your life encountered this word in a star wars novel before tim uh not so far we used to we used to enjoy ben's 
Ben's uh, Star Wars swearing or well, his swearing. his little slang or like you get the Criffin, you get the Karkin. Yeah, but I've never heard Frip before, and I don't really like it. Yeah, I'm I'm not a fan of Frip. It's like I don't know. It's not, it sounds like a child trying to not get in trouble. <laughs> but anyways, they're trying to escape. Han wants to get the Frip out, and Jaina shows up to the rescue. And like Leia moments before, when she told Han to take Alana and run away, Jaina shows up and takes control and tells Han what to do, which is wait for me to come back and save you. Fist in the air, girl power. We talked about this a little bit, right? Throughout some of the episodes where we're getting a lot of, I don't know, I don't want to say, I don't want to say in like cliche terms, but a lot of like, a lot of these female characters are getting to be powerful yeah or, or being allowed control. to be, yeah being written as allowed to be powerful in control is exactly right and yeah this, and uh, go ahead being moved a lot a lot more to the to the forefront of the of the story kind of telling too like with Definitely. dala and Jaina. yeah they're they are the uh the the lead characters for this for their story arc right is the females I mean, it's hard hard to do that for the Luke and Ben story arc. But yeah, here, they're the ones in control. They're the ones in charge. They're the ones telling everyone what to do. Jumping in the pit, saving the boy, saving the other guy. They, they, they're doing everything. And I'll say it again. They should. They're smart. Yeah. They're strong. And they're magic. So. Yes. Cool, right? Yeah, Han and Jaina yeah. get to have a little jokey. A little moment of levity in the middle of all this madness where she tells him to wait and he says, okay, but if you're not back here in 15 minutes with a way out for us, I'll ground you. I don't care how old you are. Ha ha ha. Jaina laughs. And I thought that was uh, one of the rare light moments between the two of them in like a lot of books. Yeah, they a lot of the time, especially in the last series, whenever they were together, it was all serious. Very somber, yeah. Well, I mean, as yeah. it would be when your son and twin brother is going crazy and destroying the world. Yeah, it's ruining the, the universe. And so, even in the middle of this goddamn freak show of animals going wild, they get to have a nice little joke. I thought that was alright. And then we... Cut to more taunting for Leia from Natua. She's hiding, but she's blabbing. And then we cut to Jaina becomes Jason the Animal Jesus. Mm-hmm. She uh, uses the Force to calm a bunch of riotous beasts, leads them back to their pen, telling them, be calm and everything is okay. Like, a group of wild raging animals forms up around her settles down and calmly follows her back to their pens or one pen or whatever the hell she did yeah yeah she's bringing all like the what are they like the rontos and all, all like the, the, the cow beasts. yeah yeah exactly the herbivores getting in yeah line. the cows and horses of the star wars world <laughs> exactly the emus <laughs> yeah and uh she says specifically like Oh, this, she hasn't done this in a long time or something, or it takes a lot of energy for her to do this type of thing. Yeah. But this is, 
Jason. Uh, this is Jason when he was a kid, right? The the animal collector, the kindness boy to all living creatures. Yeah, didn't he like make friends with like a, a like I want to say like a like a I want to say saber tooth tiger, but right, right, whatever the equivalent but, is, some super dangerous beast. I'm sure he did plenty of that stuff in like the Young Adventures and whatever. And you know, I I, I just I have not. Ne- have you ever? seen Jaina interact with animals like this in our 11 books so far. I don't mean in the history of remembering Jaina, but even just in these 11 books, has she even had any interactions with wild animals? No, she's had interactions with people and she normally just kills them (laughs) or gets mad at them. But like, you know, it's kind of weird because if you think back to her and Zach, um, early on in the last series being, Stranded on Terraphon or whatever that planet was, Telephon, whichever one, mm-hmm. um, where uh, they were stuck out in the wild for days or whatever. And then, you know, later on she goes to Mandalore and she spends a bunch of time hiking out in the woods and stuff like that. Never any animals. Although I guess, is that is that near civilization, right? Kind of uh. tamed areas, kind of like they were talking about uh, with the Lost Tribe where... They put up these walls to defend the city from all the wild animals, and then eventually they just they they kind of killed most of the ones that were living around there. So the city became tame, type type of thing. Uh, yeah, it's, it's, I, I you really don't see a lot of animal interaction at all, specifically, especially not not Jaina, not Angry Lady, especially and to this extent. Yeah, you're right. We're getting a lot of it now with. Win Dorvin having a pocket hamster, but other than that, yeah, there's been like no pets, no animals. That wasn't uh, that wasn't the t- <laughs> that didn't check into the last series at all. No, and maybe it's more of like the young adventure books or whatever, right? For like uh, preteens and kids and stuff like that, where that is where you get a lot of animal interaction because you know that's kind of safe territory to write about. That's relatable, but yeah. I don't oh, know, look I at the thought... cute animal. Go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah, just just look at that. Look at that cute animal. Yeah. They're, they're petting it and talking to it. Isn't that awesome? Oh, and look at oh, here's a here's a scenario where instead of using violence to solve his problems, Jason calms the beast and tames him and makes him his friend and makes him understand. Like you know what I mean? Yeah. But I've never seen or heard of Jaina doing this kind of Jason animal Jesus stuff. So, I hope this isn't just a one-off to solve this problem and doesn't, you know, inform anything else moving forward. Because it'd be really interesting if she started tapping more into these, into the kinder lost aspects of her brother. That obviously she has some connection of being a twin, right? That would be mm. so interesting. If I would she, appreciate that. If she started kind of picking up a little bit of the good parts of Jason, you know, now that he's gone. That would be kind of neat. But she's Animal Jesus for a minute, saves the day. And then Jaina, Leia, Rad, the other Jedi escort, which that's a good name, mm-hmm. and Natua all come together at once. Jaina and Leia gracefully defend a lightsaber attack while Rad brutishly headbutts Natua unconscious. <laughs> Whoa. Done. Yeah, she had been 
Apparently, Leia, Leia points out she had been p- throwing her voice, Natua had been, which is a mm-hmm. trick that Jason had. And not everybody knows, right? That's what how a shock. She was leading her on this, like, you know, whatever, this, this taunting uh, ramble through uh, the maze of the concourse and whatever. I thought it was just happening over the PA, to be honest, because I just thought she was in the control room. But apparently Natua is is exhibiting this force power that Jason had, and she never showed signs of before. Bum, bum, bum. But back to a different point here. If you remember I wonder where to, Luke and Ben are going to go next. Probably yeah. to go find out how to do that. Well, exactly, right? Because here we are coming to the end of this book, and they're going to need another, like, you know, another M&M on the trail. Mm-hmm. I think you're right, dude. I think that's a good point. And, um, but uh, I want to remember back to an earlier episode of the podcast a few weeks ago where we talked about the smart and strong women being contrasted against the, the brutish bumbling men. Remember that? Yep. Well, make of this interaction what you will as Leia and Jaina <laughs> synchronously and delicately defend with his elegant lightsaber weapons, and the man runs up and headbutts her in the back of the head and knocks her out cold. <laughs> just another. He feels just, bad doing it. Yeah, right. And it's effective, but it's just another example of like, couldn't he have done that with the force and been a little more elegant, right? Punch her in the back of the head with the force from fifteen feet away. Got to be sure and smash her, I guess, with your face because you're a man. <laughs> you know, uh, we've been seeing this a bunch throughout the book and I'm not mad at it. It's fine. We've, we have centuries of literature of men exactly writing this opposite for women, right? Yeah. Where the women are weak, the men are strong. That's fine. It's fine. It's not that the men aren't strong. It's just that we are purposely getting these comparisons of look at the women being careful and smart and, you know, competent and then look at the men who can't cut a door open, who are headbutting people unconscious, who can't speak very well because they're not very smart. All that kind of stuff. Here's Han. Hold the baby. We'll save the day. <laughs> Which I appreciated. I thought that was a really good fucking turn on their normal encounters, right? Yeah, I love that. Yeah, that was great. And good for him. He gets to be a good grandpa, you know, be a good dad, whatever. But mm-hmm. the point being, I'm not... I'm not bothered by all this girl power stuff, but I do want to point it out. It is, yeah. it's definitely a purposeful decision to just kind of, you know, buck the trend and give these female characters some fucking power and some competence and some, some uh, level and measure of control over the other competent and strong men around them. You know, I dig it. Yeah, make them seem like actual people. Yeah, well, because what did we complain about all last series? More Jaina, more Jaina. We want. Yeah. I wanted this girl power from the fucking beginning. I didn't want yeah. Jaina. Oh, boyfriend. Uh, shut the fuck up with that. Now she's got her boyfriend. Snuck off to a to a B and B. And so the women get to be competent. Okay, <laughs> that's how it works. Yeah. I don't know. I just. I really like the way that Christy Golden's writing a lot of the characters, not just the women, but especially the women. Yeah, I'm appreciating her 
her writing choices and style. Yeah, I mean, it's been a bit redundant <laughs> doing this same kind of thing over and over. I think it's like five or six times throughout the book or something like that. But I, I, I like it. For, for the first book of hers that we're reading, and it's her first book in the Star Wars universe, that's awesome. She's yeah. she's writing things in in a really desirable way, like a way that I wanted. I didn't know that I wanted. Yeah, but, yeah. But make make of that what you will. I might be wrong. I might not be. But lay in Jaina shine, and save everyone, because they are awesome. Natua though, not so much. As Leia looked sorrowfully at the unconscious Feline and sighed. This keeps getting harder to witness, she said. Valen, Seth, Gisela, and now Natua. All so young to have something like this happen. And then Han gets another good joke in there. And he goes, guess they don't make Jedi like they used to. <laughs> Dad, I'm right here. Anyways. Yeah. But another poke at Jaina. So young, Tim. These Jedi, they're so young. All these Jedi who are losing their minds and think everybody is taken over by body snatching uh, double talkers and imposters. So young. But don't forget, they used to be younger. Mm-hmm. Chapter 19. Aren't they all like 26, 27? Like they're not that much younger than Jaina, right? They're pretty well all in the same range. Yeah, I think they're like... Yeah, like five or so years younger than... Well, she's like 34 now, right? Yeah. So maybe even like seven to 12 years younger type of thing. But they're young. Okay. They're young. And they used to be young too. Chapter 19, Aboard the Jade Shadow. Tadar Rowe, our Angti delegate, uh, in case we don't remember, the uh, armadillo tongue-licking aliens, snake-tongue aliens. Yeah. Tadar Rowe takes Luke and Ben to a place of learning energy, and it's finally time to talk about Jason. Barely. Barely. Barely, right? Yeah. It's the whole fucking reason for coming here. And it's been now chapter 19 of waiting to talk to these people about Jason and they bear they they don't discuss him much. They're just like, hey, uh, how, what was he like when he was here, and blah 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 and stuff. And what did you teach him? Well, all Tad Ro says is he was strong in the force. Uh, you know, I'm summarizing here. He was strong in the force. He was a quick learner, and he had the feeling of beginning to complete a checklist. Yeah, it wasn't fun. It wasn't. He wasn't there for the education. He was there. It was like it was a task. Well, he that was, he yeah, he was, he was there for the education, but not for the joy of learning. Yeah. And he wasn't like, it, it was a mission to him, this, this mm-hmm. five-year journey that he went on. So I, that's an, that's an, a nice little piece of information, right? But we already kind of knew that because that's how Jason is. It, it, he wouldn't have been frivolous to disappear across the galaxy for five years for fucking funsies. You know, that's not something yeah. that that would be in his character. Be like, I'm just going to shirk all my responsibilities and duties as the strongest man in the galaxy for five years, just for fun. You know, and then he shows up with like, I don't know, he's he's got one of those uh, floral print Florida shirts on. 
shirts on, undone. He had a cigar hanging out of his mouth, and he's like, hey, teach me how to flow walk or something. No, it's not like that. What, 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 a Lou Al shirt or whatever? Yeah, exactly. He's got he's got a lay. Oh, hello. <laughs> then, Todd R. Rowe. He was gone for a long time. Yeah, he was. Five, you never know. You got to button your shirt up at some point. So they talk a little bit about Jason, but barely. And then Tadar Rowe teleports a rock with quantum yeah. armadillo force power. And they don't question that very much, Luke and Ben. He's like, yeah, listen, the force is uh, a rainbow and the matrix. So if I just think about that rock being here instead, and then it teleports. <laughs> and the rock and is now it is, in the Because I want it to be. And they're like, oh, cool. Moving on. Are you fucking kidding me? He just teleported an object. How are they not more interested? Ben picks it up and looks at it like hey, it's a rock. It's not warm. It's think not he, anything I, like that. I think he even says it's pretty astral. Yes, he, he says, does say astral in his internal monologue. Yeah, exactly. But, okay, they just kind of move on and chat about how the force is a rainbow. And Tadar Ro says, quote, the force, it is of those who dwell beyond the veil. It is of those who dwell beyond the veil. And he probably did spooky fingers moves, right? Who? Talk like Dracula. Ah, oh, it is. Ah. <laughs> well, who are they? <laughs> who are these? those who dwell beyond the veil? What is the veil? I don't know. And where is it? I don't know. And who are these people? And why do they live there and not on this side? Yeah. Luke and Ben chat over dinner, coming to the consensus that they can't they can't accept a rainbow force. The rain the force has to be light and dark for the Jedi. Because the Jedi know there's darkness, so they gotta stay in the light. I don't know. That yeah. was like the best summation of his expl- explanation. Because his explanation and, kind of fucking sucked, yeah? And I think, um, I'm not sure if it was Ben or some, they didn't say it out loud, but humans, is, because that's how he said, humans can, or it's easy for them to see just two sides, the light and the dark, like the... Right. It's like the way they so were programmed. The, yeah, so like a binary way of looking at it. Yeah. So that's how he's. That's why they're. They got to be that way. It's like because the Yankee are a little more. I don't know, wishy washy about it. But he also says. And, he also says, Luke specifically quote. Says, no room for compromise. What kind of Jedi talk is that? Well, he tried compromise. Well, I thought only Sith deal in absolutes. <laughs> oh, is Luke Skywalker going dark out here on the edge of the galaxy? Uh, it's that uh, lightning rod technique that he learned. Yeah, it's lightning for f- rodding for dark side energy. All right. Wow, that was the worst sentence I ever said on the podcast. Yeah, that was rough. Almost bit my tongue off. I don't know, man. What, what did you get from this little conversation? Okay, it's... I'm not, we're not doing it really justice because it's an interesting way that the Ang T look at the force, right? It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a shimmering rainbow of weaved fabric that you can change at will with your will. 
I guess. Yeah. Um, that's how they travel in their ships. Their ships have the force. And so they can teleport their ships. Uh, there, he talks about, obviously they kind of equate looking at the force as gray to being uh, equal to looking at the force as a rainbow. Right. Which is, I guess why Luke dismisses that probably more. Right. Cause they've tried to, they've seen people look at it like gray. Jason just did. It all went south. Cause you know, they're Jedi and they have to stay in the light cause they know about the dark and there's no room for compromise. But now it's time for them to start doing their end of the deal. Helping the Ang T gather artifacts. And I'll read a, from the book here. The artifacts they were sent to find were of all varieties. Sometimes they seem to Luke and Ben to simply be exceptionally beautiful stones, crystals, or other natural formations. Other times, they carefully brought back what was clearly a piece of advanced alien technology. Excuse me, what? They what? <laughs> yeah. Sorry, what? And we're just going to gloss over that and move on? There is advanced... We're going to investigate them later. <laughs> Allegedly, but... I We already know there's advanced technology in the universe, of course, right? Mm-hmm. So, question. Are those who dwell beyond the veil the Rakatans, Rakatans, who who built Centerpoint? Could that be who dwells beyond the veil if these are their artifacts and it's advanced alien technology? Nobody directly compares it. Like, I mean, Luke and Ben. They don't directly compare it to anything they've seen on Centerpoint or... uh, I don't know, whatever else there may be. But could it be yeah, that? It's an interesting theory for sure. I don't know. I have absolutely no idea. To yeah, be, no, I got nothing. To be honest. But advanced alien technology. Okay, skip right over that. I had a side note question here, though. All did, right. did Jason have to help them, too? Gather these artifacts, and did he learn about those who dwell beyond the veil, and did he... Encounter advanced alien technology? He must they, have. They, he, he must have, but they, I don't think they ever said anything about him learning. And well, that's because they've barely talked about Jason. That's also true. Tadar Rowe mentions, though, um, they're, all, they're not ready yet, but he's going to take them to the embrace when they're ready. It's the warehouse of artifacts. But they're not ready. I Notice I said ready a bunch of times. Also, uh, when Tadar Rowe says embrace, uh, Ben has PTSD. Yeah, yeah, he has a moment. As he should. And Luke's like, it'll be, it, it'll be many years where every time he hears the word embrace, it will be followed by of pain. And I just think, what a great name for a torture device, you know? Not that I'm encouraging yeah. torturing teenagers. So they probably no, deserve it. No, but it's, it's very aw and embrace. That's nice. Oh, oh pain. It's gonna hurt like hell. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I like that though. But so like, apparently, the place where they house their artifacts is called the embrace. And I think Tadar Rose has something weird about like 
it lovingly holds the artifacts or something like that, right? Is this going to be like a fucking living thing? Yeah, I I don't know. He does say it kind of weird. It's so weird out here that in in the rift, man. These guys, th- these aliens are so weird. They use the force so weird, which they don't really, right? That's one of the things that they discuss is that they don't use the force really at all. They yeah, not in any way that anybody can relate to. Yeah, they don't yeah. use it like a tool like all the other lesser beings in their you know in their estimation and opinion but they're not ready to go to the embrace yet and maybe it's tied to having to learn some of their force techniques because next thing that happens is ben has his first flow walking lesson and then he comes back to the jade shadow and it turns into a teenage angst battle yeah, it, it seemed like a negative experience. It Well, I don't know if the flow walking was negative as much as him being a teenager who wants to do a thing that your dad doesn't want to do. You think your dad just doesn't want to do it because he doesn't understand. And then your dad says, here's exactly why you want to do it. And he's right. And then you're mad because you're a teenager, right? Yeah, because then he just gets up, gets up and goes to bed. Yeah, he, he doesn't even finish his his meal, and he's a growing teenager. They're not; they're always hungry. Yeah, they made a specific comment that he's always hungry. Yeah, Luke explains why he didn't want him to learn it. He didn't want him to learn floor walking. Uh, simply as a father trying to spare his son the pain. Because he knows he wants to flow walk to go back and see his mom and go back and see what went wrong with Jason. All that kind of stuff, right? He only wants it to relive painful memories. Yeah. Things he can't fix. Things he can't change. Well, and you can't fix or change anything with flow walking really anyways. Yeah. Like, I think it's, you can change someone's perception, like from the past, someone's perception of a moment. Yeah, based on okay, so based on our the only information that we have about flow walking that I know of, which was Jason and Tahiri doing it in the previous series. Uh-huh. I mean, that's the biggest uh, evidence of it. And he says, if we do too many things, or if we're seen, or something like that, we might be remembered in somebody's memory now in the present as having been there in the past. Yes. But they aren't actually there and able to interact and change anything. Yeah. Like, if you're, how I think of it is, if you think you see something out of your peripheral vision. Yeah. And that kind of thing. Yeah. Well, and like, and on a more like philosophical level, it's like you drop a, you know, a bowling ball on a mattress. Eventually, the mattress returns to its natural state type of thing, you know? Yes. That, if, I could, if I could bring up the old commercials. <laughs> that I, the, the, uh, was it the Pocket Claustropedic or something? Yeah. <laughs> Not a sponsor of the show. No. But Ben storms off, and man, I miss mature soldier Benjamin. He's up and down and all over the place in this book. Yep. So far, 
he is, I don't know, I guess he's kind of had a bit of his a maturity regression over the last two years since his mom and, and idol cousin died. But I miss, I miss that. I miss that, Benjamin. Luke can, says he can feel the old rift. Get it? Because they're in the rift. He can feel the old rift reopening between them. And I think having Luke and Ben like each other for a while was really nice while it lasted. But teenagers. Cause yeah, what are you going to do? Luke is not wrong. Luke didn't do anything wrong. He didn't even like get upset at Ben that he did the thing he didn't want him to do. You know what I mean? Yeah, he he purposely stayed calm and it's didn't just, even talk to him about it. It was more of a scenario of Ben believing that he was in the right because he believes he's misunderstood. And then finding out that you're perfectly understood, and then now you feel in the wrong. And so he storms off. Yeah. That's my psychological <laughs> perspective of it. Hey, thank you. Makes sense. Chapter 20. The Chief of State's office on Coruscant, where Dala, her assistant Wynn, and his assistant Desha are tuned into Javis Tears' seemingly live broadcast from the Animal Expo, showing Natua Wan going crazy. Showing Jaina being rude. Oh, and then showing Seth Helen's secret Jedi basement prison apartment. Yeah. How the hell did he get that footage? And that is the repercussion of Jaina and Jag ditching him. Yep. He sent his little spider bot. Something. Yeah, for sure. Because as they were leaving and he figured out he got duped, he mentioned... That his editor or whatever, he needed a big story. And he needed to do something. So Dala, who never forgets a grudge, has been lied to and betrayed by the Jedi that she already wants to control. Because she doesn't trust them. How about that? Cut to the Master's Council in the Jedi Temple. And just like that, the Jedi Order is divided. The Seth Helen secret is out. Dala wants him back and Natua when she arrives. The Masters have a meeting. They all start shouting about different things. When Leia calls Kent Hamner with a, a solution. Once again, saving the day. Yeah, Leia saves the day. And we cut to Dala arriving outside the Jedi Temple, surrounded... By the free press. Hollow cams. Yeah, well, she called them. Reporters. Yeah, she did. <laughs> <laughs> and she and her two full squadrons of now called Galactic Security. I guess no more GAG for obvious reasons, right? That's bad branding. Yeah, yeah. That's, uh, that sends a bad message. Yeah, it's like you got to take the Stormtrooper off, armor off and like call them something different. So Dala and her two full squadrons of galactic security march right up the front steps of the Jedi Temple where they're greeted by Grandmaster Hamner, a selection of other masters, and the three solos. Leia, Jaina, and why Han? Maybe uh, because maybe Dala respects him. 
You know? Maybe because he got all pouty and would, didn't say, I'm not saying, I'm not, you're not leaving me behind. I think it's exactly the opposite, isn't he always the first to duck the fuck out of Jedi business? Yeah, unless he feels that his family might be in trouble. That's true. But I then feel he's like. the first to jump in. I feel like he might be part of Leia's solution. They march up, they meet the Masters and the Solos. And what happens next? Find out next week when we finish up Fate of the Jedi, Book 2, Omen, chapters 21 through to the end. I'm Justin. I'm Tim. Salute to Solutions and Omen's Resolution. Yeah, I was like, I was like my, uh, I'm a preacher. (laughs) Hallelujah. All right. For any comments and questions, you can hit us up at forevercanonpodcast at gmail.com. Forever Canon Podcast is a Jay Plazer production. Catch us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitch, Twitter, and YouTube at Jay Plazer. Check us out.